Welcome everyone to Finance Podcast Week and the special live stream panel, Real Estate Roundup, with Mindy Jensen from the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, Dr. Miranda Maloto of the Property Magicians Podcast, and Marco Santarelli from the Passive Real Estate Investing Podcast. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, Finance Podcast Week is a week of live stream sessions, much like this one, with top finance podcasters and experts from around the world. We also have exclusive pre-release episodes on the Finance Podcast Week channel available for free. You can replay any of these panels on the Finance Podcast Week podcast channel. Download the Podbean app and follow the Finance Podcast Week channel to receive notifications in real time about all of the live streams and specially released episodes for the week. Finance Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetizing platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for this session, you can see we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience. And for everyone listening, you can start your own live stream for free right on Podbean. The content of Finance Podcast Week is for informational purposes only, and you should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on our site, Live streams and podcasts constitute a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Podbean or any third-party service providers to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. And so now we'll go ahead and hand it off to our host of this live stream, Mindy Jensen of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. So take it away. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. My name is Mindy Jensen. I am the community manager for biggerpockets.com, which is a real estate investing social network. And I also host the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. I'm a licensed real estate and real estate agent in Colorado, and I've been investing in real estate for more than 20 years. Uh, today, I'm joined by Dr. Miranda and Marco Santarelli. Miranda, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, how you invest in real estate? Oh, absolutely. Hi, good evening. Uh, good afternoon in the US, evening in Johannesburg. My name is Miranda Molotto. I'm a medical doctor employed on a digital platform and I am called Prop Doc Mom, as in Property Doctor Mom, as a property mentor for beginner real estate investors. And I am inter I'm an intern real estate agent in Johannesburg. I co-host the Property Magicians podcast and I've been investing in real estate for the past five and a half years now. And um, you want to know what I invest in? Well, I got into real estate because I was tired of selling my hours. You know, as a medical doctor, you are, yes, a high-income professional, but I was tired of the long hours. And I guess because I became a mom at age 40, later than most people, I wanted also time to parent my child. This is how I got into real estate. And my chosen strategy is multi-led, um, the multi-led strategy in affordable housing. That's what I invest in in South Africa. Cool, thank you. And Marco, welcome to the Finance Podcast Week Real Estate Roundup panel. Let Why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little bit about what you invest in? Thank you, Mindy. It's been a while since we saw each other, but it's great to reconnect here. Um, so yes, my name is Marco Santorelli. I am definitely an investor, an author. I'm an Inc. 1000 entrepreneur and the founder of Norada Real Estate Investments, which I started a little over 17 years ago to help other investors invest from anywhere in the U.S. to anywhere in the U.S. Um, 
my personal mission is really to help one million people create wealth and passive income and put them on the path to financial freedom. That's something I started when I was uh, 18 years old. And uh, I've just continued to invest on and off over the years. What I choose to invest in has varied from single family homes to um, small to medium sized apartment complexes. But for the most part, what I choose to invest in, what I still invest in today are single family homes, duplexes, triplexes and fourplexes in different markets all around the United States. That sounds awesome. Um, I am sure that everybody who is listening in the U.S. has a question for all of us. How do we get started investing in this market, which is pretty crazy right now? Um, Marco, why don't you share a little bit about what how you're finding deals when everything is going so, so, so fast? Well, I, 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 I will try to answer that question in, um, in, in the light of helping everybody because I have a little bit of a leg up on, on many people, which is I have access to so much inventory around the country, not for myself personally, of course, but that we make available to investors because that's our core business. So, you know, to answer your question as far as finding deals, we've just vetted and partnered with a lot of builders and professional full-time rehabbers around the country that are essentially buying, fixing up, and creating um, ready product, what we refer to as turnkey product. Builders are obviously building new construction. Now, they're out there. It's not, you know, hard to find. You can spend your time on bigger pockets, and you can certainly make some contacts. Um, you can do some research online. You could listen to podcasts and find people who do offer opportunities, whether they're syndications or single families or turnkey properties. But of course, you know, the responsibility is on you. You obviously have to do your own research and your own due diligence uh, and, and be aware of what you're um, investing in. Now, this all comes back to having the right team. Uh, you should never invest blindly or, of course, you should you shouldn't always be getting yourself ready, firing, and then aiming. You know, you want to make sure that you get yourself ready, aim, and then fire. Um, but the key thing today is whether you're just starting out as a newbie or you're, um, you've got one deal under your belt or you've gotten, you know, 10 deals over your belt over the last 10 years or you're a very sophisticated seasoned investor, I'm very bullish on real estate. I continue to be bullish on real estate for many reasons. And there's no reason to wait whether you're just starting or whether you're seasoned. Uh, the deals are out there. Yes, it's a tight market. Yes, inventory is low. Yes, demand is strong. But investors are still doing good deals every day of the year. I really like what you said, get yourself prepared to invest. And one of the things that I uh, preach, frankly, from my podcast is investing from a position of financial strength instead of you know being prepared to invest. And, and I think COVID has showed us that you know, you don't know what's going to happen. So you need to have a healthy reserve fund before you jump in with both feet. If you can't afford to make the repairs or, you know, the mortgage payment, even when your tenants aren't paying rent, you could find yourself in a really prickly situation pretty quickly. Um, so I like that you, you mentioned that as well. Uh, Dr. Miranda, what does the market look like in South Africa? Is it as re red hot as it is in America? <laughs> it is. It depends who who you're talking to and where you're looking, Mindy. Um, people, we, we, what we do is we tend to have this whole global comment and judgment about, well, the COVID has happened. 
But what we are seeing is that there are lots of opportunities as a result of COVID-19, right? The pandemic has, of course, affected us as landlords. I don't know about you guys, how your rentals are going. And lots of people are not paying rents or we're not paying rents in 2020. So where the opportunities are, there are people who have gotten into real debt because they had bought super expensive homes that they can't afford. So those are flooding the market. One, secondly, in affordable housing, what we are seeing is that well, you know, having a roof over your head is never going to go away. The more we, we birth children and we have families, there will always be people. So in the affordable market, in, in the affordable housing market, and I'm talking about what would be like 3,000 to 3,500 rents, which is what in your language, in dollars, about $150 rental you find people are looking for houses because most people are downgrading. One, two, there are people who, who there are new graduates and, and people are more and more people are wanting to work closer to the city centre and in smaller homes that they can afford for a longer time. So that is what we are looking at and the rates of um, return on, on, on investment. You can get between 12 to 18% ROI, really good. So that's what we are seeing in the affordable market. Surprisingly, even the, um, the, the very expensive homes are on the market. As an agent, what you are seeing is that your 3 million, 4 million rent homes are on the market because people are buying those at a much cheaper price because some people had bought expensive homes and they had reached their upper limit of what they can afford. So that's what we are seeing. Very exciting times. That that is very interesting. Twelve to eighteen percent. That's yes. um, no small potatoes there. It's not. <laughs> Can someone who is not a South African citizen own property in South Africa? Um. Yeah. He's because of the way we are situated in South Africa. Absolutely, South Africa. Feels almost like your New York. It's a hodgepodge of people from all over the world. And you know that when we had a collapse of a country just north of South Africa, Zimbabwe, so lots of Zimbabweans in our country, neighboring states like Mozambicans, and we have lots of Nigerians and Ghanaians in our country. So lots of people buy properties, the very, very high end properties. Um, that's where most Americans and people from the UK buy, lots of Europeans in Cape town and the western cape right down south of, of of where i live so yes indeed um people who are living outside of south africa are able to invest we have got um lots of people in the diaspora lots of south africans who are earning in dollars and in other currencies that are buying at home i actually have mentees that are living in the middle east who are buying properties in south africa almost monthly because that's 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 just how it is. It feels like a candy store right now. Well, that's that's fantastic. I'm super. I'm super excited for the possibility there. Um, yeah, we've got some questions from our audience. I'd like to take one from Germo. He says, "I'm an accidental." Yeah. I'm sorry, Germo says, "I'm an accidental landlord twice over. Not sure if I'm going to expand my real estate empire." Does it make sense for me to form an LLC if I already have an umbrella policy 
over my rentals. I really think that an umbrellas policy is the best way to go, um, especially because you're not going to expand or you don't have any plans to expand. Um, I know that some people prefer the LLC for the protections it provides you, but if you intermingle your funds personal with LLC, then the LLC protections are gone. And it's pretty easy to, it's called pierce the corporate veil to do that. So I'm not sure that that's something that I would recommend. Marco, what is your uh, preference on LLC versus umbrella policy for him specifically because he's not planning on increasing his uh, properties? Yeah, thanks, Mindy. Um, I'm going to give us a a slightly different answer than what you gave. uh, Because Mm -hmm. for me, it's not either or it's actually and and I'll I'll explain why you you actually want both. Uh, Let's just call them both fruits, but you're comparing an apple to an orange. Um, Forgot your name. Is it uh, Germo? Germo. So Germo, here's the thing. Uh, first of all, I'm not an attorney. I'm not a CPA. I'm not giving you legal advice. This is just from my own personal experience, as well as working with literally thousands of investors over the last 17 years and doing what we do. When investors are looking at LLCs, limited liability companies here in the United States, there's one main reason that they put the title of their property into that LLC. It is solely for asset protection purposes which means that you take title out of your name and you put it into that entity, uh, as which you control, by the way, you have all the benefits from that LLC. But what you're doing is you're creating a separation of title from your name into the LLC. So should there ever be some sort of litigation or lawsuit that comes up, having done everything right, and you may, you know, you could do this on your own, but you should probably work with an attorney. But if everything is done right, you actually separate your personal liability from any judgments or legal action that occurs because of something that happened at your property or properties. That's the number one reason. So it is, in my opinion, and if you ask most every asset protection attorney, they're going to say, yes, that's yes. something you should do. How you do it is, you know, is, is, is going to be, um, there's really only one way to do it, but there's some nuances. Now, regarding the umbrella uh, insurance policy, this is where it differs. You're talking about insurance. It, insurance is insurance. It's not a form of asset protection. Asset protection is exactly that. It's protection. If you do need to rely on your insurance because something has happened where you don't have the protections or coverages with your existing uh, property insurance and the protections that come with the LLC, well, now you've got your insurance to cover you for whatever liability and um, hazards there were. And then you have your umbrella policy that backstops your original uh, property insurance, which is really, that's why they call it umbrella insurance. It it overrides everything else you have going on. So for me, it's both, not either or. I like what you're saying, Marco. It's actually exactly the same in South Africa. And I'm so glad I'm a medical doctor because I don't have to give tax advice or legal advice, but that's exactly the issue. And so, I mean, one other thing that you hadn't mentioned is the tax benefit of having it in an LLC, which is a PTY limited for my fellow South African. Yeah. Uh, 
you, you, you register your prop call for exactly that. It protects you against liability one. The second thing is if you are earning rental and you are positive cash flowing, you can imagine if you are working and your salary is $50,000 and there you are, you've got an extra $5,000, you are pushing yourself into the next tax bracket. Let the company run some expenses through it. There is a legal way of writing off certain expenditures that you make on your property. That's why you put it in a prop call. And then asset protection and insurance are totally different from that. If something happens inside of your property, you are taking insurance for exactly that. What, that's what happens inside of your property, but you can't say you don't register it in a PTY limited just for the benefit of the South Africans who are listening. So, yes, your companies should be in a PTY limited, ideally, ideally, if you can do that. But you are going to pay transfer fees, by the way, to transfer it from Miranda Moloto into a PTY limited. It's like the company is buying off the the properties out of your hands into the company, into a new owner, because the company is a separate entity from the person. I'm glad you mentioned that because that is also the case in America, if I'm not mistaken, okay. Marco. Um, you, when you're, if you're going to have your property in the LLC, you're going to need the LLC to own it, and that triggers something called a due on sale clause or could trigger a due on sale clause, which means that your mortgage is now due 100% of the balance is due because it has uh, quote unquote sold by transferring to your LLC. So that's something to be aware of. Of course, if you're purchasing it in the LLC, then that's not a big, you know, that, that won't happen. Um, Marco, do you have any comment on that aspect of owning it in an LLC? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, just to keep it brief, I will say this. What you're saying, Mindy, is true. There is a due on sale clause in virtually every mm. mortgage document, um, mm. typically with conventional loans. So your Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans. Now, the thing is this. In the last 17 plus years, almost 18 years that we've been working with you know, clients and having seen literally thousands upon thousands of mortgages, most of our investor clients transfer title into an entity like an LLC. Not once, not once in the last 18 years have we ever had a reported case of the lender accelerating or calling the note due because they transferred title unless they were in default over 90 days. In that, and in that case, of course, the lender is going to, um, you know, I mean, they've already tried to contact you multiple times, but at that point, you are definitely in default and they can, if they want to start a foreclosure process to take the property back. Do they want to do that? Absolutely not. But you put them in that position. So the bottom line is this, what, what I've seen and all the professionals I know in this industry have seen, and, and this is co also coming from asset protection attorneys that I know. It is very, very rare, not impossible, but very, very rare for a lender to actually exercise the due on sale clause because as long as they're getting paid each and every month, which is exactly what they want, as long as you're servicing that note, the, the debt, they will not and do not want to uh, accelerate the note. They want to make money. They want to get your payments and, and everybody's happy. The one way around this, if it really is a concern to you, which I honestly believe it should not be a major concern because I've never seen 
uh, do on sale clause exercise. The one way around that in the United States is you can at, wrap one extra layer of, um, I shouldn't call it protection because it's not asset protection, but what you can do legally by federal law is title the property into a trust, like a, what they refer to as a land trust, but it's a trust nonetheless, and it's just a document. And then you move, um, you transfer that trust into the LLC. So the LLC owns the trust and that trust owns that property. And you mm -hmm. have the legal right to do that. It's called the St. Germain mm -hmm. Act. Uh, the, I, I'm butchering that a little bit. It's the Grant, the Garn, Garn St. Germain Act. And it's a federal law that allows you to actually and legally transfer title to a trust and then the trust into the LLC. I don't know very many investors that do that. There's many that do, but I don't know many that do. But that's one way to circumvent that do on sale clause. Yeah, I everybody I've spoken to has also said, oh, I've never heard this happening or this has never happened to me, but it is an option. So I just want everybody to be aware that it could happen, um, you know, before you do the, the transaction. You don't want to get caught up in that afterwards. Um, Dr. Miranda, you mentioned that you're uh -huh. a you're a physician and uh -huh. you invest in real estate to be able to spend more time with your child. Why real estate over stocks? Well, real estate is leverageable. If you if there's a word like that, Mindy, <laughs> I can borrow money against the current real estate that I own. Number one, I can live in the real estate. You can't do that in an ETF, can you? And what I have found is that um, I have got more control on how my rate of return happens. I have been working in the medical field for over 23 years and the performance of my money, even when I have given it to another person to invest passively in a flip, someone else doing a flip, I've never had a return of 18% and 20% on all the endowment policies and all the exchange traded funds that I have. And real estate does that very quickly. You can control how your money is going to work for you. I can choose the market. I can choose affordable housing. I can choose in B and C class um, residential uh, residential properties to invest and I can control how that is going to go. When it stays in the stock market, what I have seen is, I mean, I have had, I don't know how many endowment policies I wrote. I, I, I keep talking about it on the podcast that um, financial advisors listen to you. They hear me say, I need cash flow. I'm building a retirement as well as educating my child, as well as loving travel, which are my three greatest um, needs right now. But they go and make you buy another policy. And the only person that really gets paid are the fund managers who have done nothing to control the, co the COVID-19. I'm not saying they should do anything, but they have failed to do anything. You should see the blood on the floor on our retirement annuities right now. My retirement fund from one of the corporate jobs that I held has been hit 28%. And I know that in real estate, I can recover, I can control that because I'm re-strategizing. Where am I going to invest? Take my money, put it in with a developer who is developing affordable housing. I know I'm going to get a rate of return of 12%. I know I'm going to buy certain homes in affordable housing, people pay rent more consistently than the higher rates. So that's 
that's really why I do what I do. And that's why I have got so much belief in real estate. And I came in late in the game, but I can tell you, I am doing better than what I, what my money did in endowment policies and in retirement annuities. I don't know about how, about how Mark sees it, but that's, that's, that's what I have seen. I've got proof. So you can't, it's something that I, I totally believe in. It's become my religion in investment. Not that I don't invest on the stock market. I've got exchange traded funds and it's a comparison in, in a way of diversifying my, my portfolio. But real estate is performing much better than all the other asset classes. I love that. I love that. Marco, how about you? Why do you choose real estate over stocks or other types of investments? Um, yeah, good question. This one actually comes up a lot and there are many reasons, but here are the key reasons. First of all, control. You control your real estate. You call the shots. You determine where things go and how things are managed and what rents to charge. And uh, even, even from a uh, in more broader perspective, you decide what markets you, you're going to invest in, what sub-markets, what neighborhoods you're going to invest in, who you hire as a property manager. So there's a huge, huge element mm -hmm. of control where you don't have that when you are investing in paper assets like stocks, bonds, mutual funds. You, you, you're relying on property managers that often take very hefty fees, uh, have carry very little risk. Um, so you carry all the risk and make minimal returns. So control is number one. The other thing, too, is that with, with stock, most stocks that people invest in are really just for capital gains. It's really not a cash flow asset unless there's dividends. And even then, the dividends are typically not very high. Uh, so it, we're talking minimal rates of return. Uh, with real estate, you have cash flow. It's cash flow that stays with you. It's sustainable and grows over time. But in addition to that, the real estate investing is leverageable. I can put as little as 20% down and control 100% of an asset and have 100% of all the benefits, but have only 20% of my invested cash into that deal because I have lenders that are going to lend me happily the other 80%. So I have the element of leverage. And then, of course, you know, it's a powerful, very powerful tool to grow my net worth because I gain equity over paying down my mortgage, which is increasing my equity yeah. each and every month. But in addition to that, I also, over time, have a potential appreciation. I say potential because you can never guarantee it, but you know, investing in the right markets, right neighborhoods, you almost assure you're going to have appreciation over time. And because real estate is an amazing hedge against inflation, you're going to have price, in, uh, price appreciation or price inflation by default because of the environment we live in. So look at what we have. We have an, an asset that we have complete control over. We are, it is leverageable. We have cash flow from day one. We have the ability to grow our equity, in other words, our net worth, through the amortization of the loan, which my tenant is happily paying for me. And I have appreciation over time as well. So it is a powerful wealth generator and it is a powerful tool for passive income and it is a natural hedge against inflation. Stock doesn't do that. I Wow, I have nothing to add to either of those. Those are fantastic. And yeah, control is really why I invest in real estate. I have no control over what Elon Musk is going to do with his Tesla 
company or anything else that he's going to do. I have no control over, you know, anybody Indeed. else and what they're doing. Uh, it's been a while since Enron collapsed, but remember Enron, there were people who had like all of their investment funds in Enron because it was such a great company. And then all of a sudden it's worth nothing. That's right. Um, That's right. My real estate <laughs> is never going to be worth nothing. Even if the house burns to the ground, the ground mm -hmm. is still worth something. And, exactly. and I've got insurance that will cover the re replacement of my property. Exactly. So, exactly. so all of my, all of my thing, all of my investment is protected. Um, whereas a stock can very easily go to zero. Um, I yeah. like this. Papa Bochi just asked, what's better to target capital appreciation or positive cash flow returns? I and I love this question. I am going to uh, throw it over to Dr. Miranda first. What do you like better, <laughs> appreciation or to cash flow? Um, Papa's such a good question. Such a good question. If you ask me today, right, I have an 11 year old. What would I choose? I need cash flow daily. I have got fees to pay. I've got horse riding and music lessons to pay for. So today, cash flow works. What's nice about property? Sometimes you buy and you think, ah, okay, I'm just buying for cash flow. Lo and behold, something recovers. COVID-19 is behind us. You wake up one day and you need um to sell that asset because you want to go to a higher or a not to go and buy a block of flats, for instance. And then suddenly the house that you bought at 500,000 that houses four tenants, you can go and buy a block that houses 12 tenants and that property has appreciated. So inadvertently, most, most properties, depending on where they are sitting, you are going to get appreciation if you sit with that asset long enough. Sometimes you don't even have to sit very long because sometimes you're improving the asset, which you can't do on a stock, right? You put a coat of paint, you put a gate, you put uh, Wi-Fi, and you have got security because we live in Johannesburg. Suddenly, your property is more attractive than the one next door and you've got appreciation. So it's not something that you choose either or uh, most of us, right? Depending on where you are in life and what your needs are, I still buy for for cash for, for, for cash flow daily, daily. That's what I look at. But inadvertently, I mean the house we live in has appreciated on its own. I didn't do anything. I just sat here, bought, built. I sit here and, cap uh, and capital, uh, capital growth happens. And Marco, over to you. Thanks, Mindy. <clears throat> okay, so to the question, you know, what's better to target capital appreciation or, or positive cash returns? The answer is a very, very simple both. And here's what I mean. Mm. So my, I have 10 rules for successful real estate investing. It's, it's posted at the top of our blog all the time. Number four is invest for cash flow. You mm. always invest for cash flow. And the reason I say that is because the, we, uh, the way I look at it is cash flow is the glue that keeps your investment together. So mm. as time goes on, if you have excess cash flow, which if you invest right, uh, you always will. So you have cash flow, you have positive cash flow. That means you have income coming in every month and every year. But while you're doing that, if you invest in, again, like I said this a couple times now, 
if you invest in the right markets and the submarkets and the right neighborhoods and you have the right team, which is what we, you know, what we focus on and preach like till we're blue in the face, you will have appreciation over time. It naturally happens. You will have a growth and you will have appreciation. So why not have both? Now, here's a differentiator when it comes to that question. Whenever we talk to clients, one of the first things we want to find out is where they are in their investment journey, which includes how old they are, meaning what their time horizon is. But we also want to know what is what is your core focus? What's your investment strategy? Are you focused more on cash flow now or are you focused on growth now? If you're focused more on growth, the growing the equity or appreciation, if you will, but equity um, in the short term, then we would recommend they plug into some of the markets that we operate in that are heavily uh, growth oriented, meaning strong population growth, strong appreciation potential. There is a lack of supply, strong demand that will give them fast appreciation, realistically fast appreciation, not like crazy numbers. But if they're, you know, if their situation is a little different, we might reposition their existing portfolio or help them invest in markets that are focused more on cash on cash returns and cash flow. So it's still both. The answer to the question is both. You want cash flow and you want appreciation. The question is, is like a teeter-totter, where are you more heavily focused right now? Is it more about price growth or is it more about higher cash on cash returns and cash flow? So that's the answer, my answer to that question. I love it. Uh, Let's talk about getting started investing in real estate. Uh, Right now, we've got a red hot market. It looks like in South Africa and in America. Uh, What is the easiest way for someone to get started investing in real estate right now? Dr. Miranda? Um, Good question, Mindy. Because my mentees are beginners, most of them, and um, most, most right now, I have more females than males and very risk averse. I tell everyone, start where you are. We like looking at things and complicating and overcomplicating things. I go through their portfolios or whatever they have, and most of them will be will have inherited a house that's either in the village, sometimes in what used to be or historically what we call black townships where black people live. And there you are. You've got a house, mortgage paid up. Start where you are. Right. Start where you are. We've we grew up on a model that we call the two rooms and garage. We've always had back rooms at the back of our homes and a garage as more and more black people became into middle class and they've got a car now somewhere to park. And then they would hire out these two rooms at the back at the backyard of their houses. Start where you are. Right. Start with the house that you have refinance that and start buying um, in cash flowing markets and start whatever you are doing, start with what you have. Even when you have got traditional land in the village, look around. Are there any police stations and hospitals and schools around where you are living? Start with a multi-led strategy, build some rooms, hire out those, and there you are, you start. And the other way of starting is passively investing in property while you learn the game, because there is nothing that trumps education. 
if you go and start and dishing out your money, refinancing and dishing out your money before you attend a property network, before you hire a coach, before you listen to our podcast, Property Magicians, or any of the podcasts. We started with Bigger Pockets, for instance. I mean, I started following it um, uh, religiously, and I sat there and I thought, well, how do I translate this into a language that a South African woman can understand? And that's that's exactly how my journey started. It started with education and property master classes. So whatever you do, please start where you are and start with property education and start with the easiest thing. And passive investing in flips and getting involved in property stock files, what you would call a... I don't know what you call them, a syndicate fund where a group of people invest in properties. Make sure you get into the right ones. But how are you going to know the right one? Start at a property network. Get to know the people who are investing in properties you are interested in. We've got lots and lots of those. People are building student accommodations as a group in a property stock fell. That's what I would say, a, you know, a normal, ordinary South African like myself could start with property. But whatever you do, the underlined italics and bold is educate yourself. Start listening to podcast, more podcasts than listening to the radio and the news and the set news that we, we listen to. I wish this was video so everybody could see what a big smile I have on my face and I'm shaking my hands. Yes, yes, yes. Educate yourself. Start yeah. local. Uh, you said, you know, rent out the rooms in the back of the yard. We call yeah. that house hacking on bigger pockets. You just rent out the spaces that are bigger than what you need. So maybe you have extra garage space. Maybe you have storage in the backyard. Maybe there's a bedroom that you don't need. There's a lot of ways to to start local. And I'm really curious what Marco has to say about what is the best way to get started. <clears throat> well, uh, <laughs> Mindy, that's a darn good question. Um, I, again, it depends on where someone's at. So not to complicate the question, um, but I certainly agree with both of you about educating yourself. I mean, that's top of my list. In fact, you know, I, I don't want to keep referencing my 10 rules, but that's rule number one. If you actually look at it, it says um, uh, educate yourself. And, and, you know, I'm a big believer in that. And, and if you, you know, ever meet Robert Kiyosaki, um, you know, I've had the pleasure to meet with him and I've been on a couple trips with him and have dinner with him. And he's a perpetual student. He's always at the back of the room with a notepad, regardless of who, who's talking at the front of the room, even if it's a 20 some year old that is, you know, a newbie compared to his level of experience and success, but he's always taking notes and learning and writing things down that he's never thought about, or maybe it's a different spin on what he already knows. So, you know, certainly you want to educate yourself, but let's just assume that you've already, you know, reached the point where you have the confidence, comfort, you have the competency to move forward and invest. So you've got the education piece down. Well, now what? So how do you get started? Well, the, the, the way to get started is this. Be clear on what you're trying to achieve. Some people might refer to that as, as a goal, but define what it is you're trying to achieve. Break it down into very measurable, clearly well-articulated um, 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 criteria. And then use that goal and that criteria to drive you to wherever you're going, that destination. Build your team and one thing I like to say to investors all the time is accumulate as much investable capital as you can. 
make as much money as you can as fast as you can because you want those chunks of cash to use towards your down payments, the investment capital that you're going to put towards the acquisition of your first property or your next property. And then you rinse and repeat. You keep doing that. So as you always educate yourself throughout your entire life, you want to amass investment capital as quickly as possible and build up these chunks of deployable capital and use those as your acquisition uh, as your acquisition capital or you know what they call a down payment for your next property and your next property and your next property. That's how you get started. Educate yourself and get the investment capital and, um, and build your team and start working on it. You know, people complicate this a little too much and don't overthink it. Don't overcomplicate it. Just learn to take action because if you don't, you're going to look back a year from now, five years, 10 years from now and say, geez, I wish I started back then. So don't let that happen to you. Boy, I wish I bought a lot more real estate in 2014, 15, 16, and 11, 12. <laughs> I think everybody does. <laughs> okay, so what is the best lesson you've learned through your investing, Dr. Miranda? Oh my goodness, which one should I choose? Do you only want one or 15? <laughs> Mindy, um, all, my, all my mentees and on the podcast, I've shared this. Um, my very first investment property, okay, was my, my primary home. But when I started my property journey under the tutelage of a mentor, I bought a negative cash flowing apartment, expensive mistake. Bought the apartment because I could afford to and he got me to max out at affordability and I was prob I, I was apparently going to cash flow in year five. Year five, people note that. And I was going to cash flow a measly something like $92 in your terms. I've just calculated it now. And very upset about it to this date. But it is the reason I do the podcast. It is the reason that drove me to become a property mentor that if you are not educated enough, if you do not run the numbers, if you do not understand what you are doing, then rather not buy a property. Let other people be buying, get the deal. Those people refurbish the deal, get a property manager, and you just contribute your equity, your cash, and start making cash from property investment while you learn. So that is my one big pain point in property investing that even some mentors do not understand or they pretend not to understand what you are going for. I needed cash flow. And the last thing, the one thing that I did was I bought this apartment. The rental did not cover the levies of the complex, did not cover the insurance of the complex, did not cover the, the municipality bill as well. So that came out of pocket, which set me back in my in my expanding my portfolio, because then now I have got this 2000 that I am contributing to an apartment that's supposed to be an investment. It's taking money out of my pocket. Right. And it doesn't make sense. Right. So you don't buy an apartment like that. Not when you are needing cash flow, you can't be paying something and it's taking and it's taking money out of your pocket. All it covered covered was the mortgage. So that is my one big one. My second big one was buying with a partner where all the legal structures had not been formalized. 
I ended up without that property because he paid for the deposit. He has left with the property because I have got no leg to stand on, even though money exchange between the two of us happened in the background. But what, what shows is that cash flowed from his bank account only and paid for the deposit, even though I paid for the transfers and other things in between. So before you buy with a partner, if you are married, your your antinatural contract, very important, with or without accrual, very important. Are you in a community of property? Not, <laughs> not, uh, not something to do, but if that is the case, all those legal structures need to be in place. We are buying this property as two business partners, as two intimate partners, write it down somewhere, have the attorney, write down that agreement so that when you part ways, something happens and all your properties and all your investments are calculated and accounted for and you can separate peacefully and without too much financial financial loss. That's my advice. Oh, that sounds horrible. And I... <laughs> that's in America too. Get your partnerships yeah in writing get everything that you're doing in writing so even if it's with your best friend even if it's with your, a family member especially if it's with your best friend and especially if it's with your family member because everybody's all friendly and wonderful in the beginning before any yeah. money has uh changed hands but once money's yeah. involved people can change and that is mm -hmm. uh, very unfortunate but get it mm -hmm. all in writing i love that I Absolutely. love that. And, and intimate partnerships are your worst. It is all good and well, but when the intimate partnership sours, you are not going to get your money back. So please risk the relationship rather at the beginning, but have those structures in place. Make it all legal. I love it. Okay, yeah. Marco, what's the best lesson you've learned through your investing? Yeah. So, Mindy, um, I mean, I think anybody who's in this business long enough makes enough mistakes and falls on their face often enough that you know they, they walk away with many lessons. Um, probably one of the biggest ones I I made early on, um, and I talk about a lot on my podcast is it really it comes down to two things, and I I've, I've made those my fifth and sixth rule of my ten rules. One is to be bar market agnostic. Two is to take a top-down approach. Let me explain what I mean. Long, long ago, when I was investing out of state, I live here in Southern California, and I was investing in markets that were over 3,000 miles away. I was investing in Florida, Georgia, uh, Michigan. And I made the mistake, because I didn't know better at the time, of buying in neighborhoods, as an example, that I shouldn't have been buying in. And let me explain that, because I, I know some investors are might disagree with me on this because they they maybe they just don't care about how important an, an area is. A lot of investors make the mistake of being hyper focused on the deal. They look at the property and they look at the numbers and it, it looks good on the outside. The property looks great on the inside. The photos are impressive. Maybe they visit the property. The numbers on paper look great. Maybe it's leased and their actual numbers fantastic. That might be a good property, and uh, the financials might look great, but when you step back and realize that that property cannot be moved, it's rooted in the neighborhood. It's on the street. It's in that neighborhood. It's in that sub market. It's in that market. It cannot be changed. 
when you realize that, you need to shift your focus and take what I call a top-down approach, my sixth rule, which means that you start with choosing the markets that make the most sense fundamentally in terms mm. of jobs, job growth. And then you work your way down to the neighborhood and then finally the property, and then you wrap your team around you in that property. So I made the mistake early on of investing in neighborhoods that I, I would lovingly call, you know, uh, C-class neighborhoods. You C-minus, C, C-plus. And that's, mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you're looking for, but that didn't meet my investment criteria. I, to this day, am what I refer to as a B neighborhood, a B plus and an A minus neighborhood, because I like the numbers, I like the demographics, I like the growth potential, I like the schools, I like the crime rate, I like a lot of things about those particular areas, those neighborhoods. And so I put a lot of emphasis on the location, the, the area and the neighborhood. And I talk about this on the podcast all the time. So I didn't do that in the beginning. That was one of my biggest mistakes because I learned to regret it as the months and years went by with tenant turnover, tenant transitions, uh, a damage caused by the tenants, uh, the lack of appreciation, the, uh, the expensive uh, repair costs that came with those properties, all that stuff. So, you know, they talk about buying right and this is just a very big variable or factor in investing mm -hmm. right from the front end. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that's the lesson, and that's you know what I would recommend to people listening to this is is be market agnostic and take a top down approach. Don't be hyper focused on the property specifically. Mm -hmm. I love that. Uh, market agnostic. That's not a phrase I've heard before, <laughs> but I really do like that that phrase. Um, Dr. Miranda, before we wrap up, can you tell mm -hmm. people why they should listen to your podcast? What are they going to get out of your podcast? Oh my goodness. <laughs> can I break and say we are the bigger pockets of South Africa? Of yes. Africa. Yeah, that's it. So um, Vangile and I, my co-host, when we set up the podcast in 2019, we decided we are going to translate the English of property investment into something people can understand. I believe um, we are the knowledge platform for especially a beginner. And historically in South Africa, remember, black people were excluded from the economy, excluded from wealth creating mechanisms because we were the workers, right? So if we are going to educate and elevate more wealth in the in the in the in the colored community and in in, in, in brown people's community, somebody needs to decipher the English of capital leverage all those those terms that are used to exclude the rest of us. That's why this um, Property Magicians podcast came about. So we are two brown women who decided this is for brown people. This is to show them that the market you're sitting in is actually the place to be. So our podcast is not just an information platform. It is your go-to dictionary to decipher the English of investment, which is something that Black people have. We don't grow up with investment language at our dinner tables, Mindy. So this is incredibly, incredibly important. This is our way of saying whatever we've learned and whatever our mistakes have been in investment, we are bringing it here. The second biggest thing, I think, with Property Magicians podcast is that you're going to find information about investing in property, 
you're going to find information about how to capitalize because we invite every one of our guests to share openly how they capitalize in their in their uh, portfolios but we also get everyone in their property value chain your developer your quantity surveyor your architect all the experts in property investing and development of properties so that they can educate and all of our guests are pretty clear about what our our vision is on property magicians podcast and we've got a a guideline that we've got for them um tomorrow so we are dropping some free gifts for them as we develop the podcast and we grow the podcast uh, fantastic. That was a great overview. I love that you call yourself the bigger pockets of Africa. <laughs> um, people are asking where they can find your podcast. Can we link to the podcast? Do you have a website that we can give people? Uh-huh. Well, our podcast is on all three platforms, including this very one that has given us a good vote of confidence, Podbean. We are on iTunes, we are on Spotify as well. So if you just go property magicians, we are actually top top of the of, of, of the list when you go on Spotify and on iTunes, we come right after bigger pocket. That's why we Oh, that's fantastic. We are. I love that. Okay. And Marco, what can people learn when they're listening to your podcast? What do you guys focus on? Yeah, thanks, uh, Mindy. I I hope you're plugging your podcast here too, because I want to make sure people follow you. Um, So I I like to refer to uh, the Passive Real Estate Investing Show as the show for busy people. And most people, you know, around are busy. They, you know, have a job or career and they've got their family and Johnny soccer game on the weekend. You know, they're doing their own thing. And while they're doing all that, they're trying to learn about real estate and real estate investing. And so I, I, I built a show almost six years ago wrapped around those people who want to invest and want to learn about investing. Uh, but, you know, are busy and don't want to be swinging hammers or finding distressed sellers or distressed properties. They just want to invest and create wealth and create passive income. And so that's that's the overall theme of the show. And so some of the things we talk about, some of the topics are, you know, the differences between active versus passive real estate investing. Um, I go I go deep into my 10 rules of successful real estate investing. We talk about, you know, how to actually create that financial freedom and escape the rat race. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have guests on that talk about mindset and personal development and how that contributes to financial success. For example, I've had Brendan Burchard on and many other people Mm -hmm. like him. Mm -hmm. Uh, What it means to be market agnostic. You know, you like that term. You know, we talk about that. Uh, The different market types. There's three different market types, you know, that most people aren't Mm -hmm. aware of. And that makes that's important to know before you start investing anywhere, even if it's in your backyard. Uh, We talk Mm -hmm. about rent to price ratios and how to use that as a litmus test. Um, how to literally invest anywhere in the U.S., which is long-distance investing, regardless of where you live, even if you live in South Africa. doesn't matter. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Sorry, everyone. This is Norma Jean from the Podbean team. We are out of time for this panel. We're going to hop on crypto. Um, but first, we have a giveaway. So the first person to pop in an emoji uh, will win Marco's Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. And I believe Germo, you have won it. Wow, that's a lot of emojis. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this special live stream panel, Real Estate Roundup with Mindy Jensen from Bigger po- Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, Dr. Miranda Maloto of the Property Magicians Podcast, and Marco Santarelli from Passive Real Estate Investing. If you joined late or want to have another listen to these amazing podcasts and experts, you can replay this panel on the Finance Podcast Week channel. 
Finance Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetization platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for this session today, you can see we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience. For everyone listening, you can also start your own live stream for free on Podbean. The content of Finance Podcast Week is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on our site, live streams, and podcasts constitute a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Podbean or any third-party service providers to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Mindy, Marco, Miranda, their podcasts are here on Podbean. You can find them. Miranda is the Property Magician's podcast. Marco is Passive Real Estate Investing, and Mindy is the Bigger Pockets Money. So thank you, everyone. We're going to hop over to Crypto Craze next. Thanks so much for joining us on Real Estate. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you.